Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. Ready? All right, here we go. From the 10, throwing end zone. Spectacular catch. They're saying it's a catch. Touchdown. You see, most gamblers, when they go to gamble, they go to win. Oh, my God. That's incredible. <laughs> Big bank, small bank, I like to make money. All right. That is the ultimate kibosh. You want to bet? <laughs> and we are underway. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another NFL episode of the Action Network Podcast. I'm Matthew Friedman, the Editor-in-Chief of Fantasy Labs. With me are two of the most brilliant fantasy football experts on the planet, Sean Corner and Chris Raybon. Sean is the Action Network Director of Predictive Analytics and one of the top in-season fantasy football rankers for the past half decade. Chris is a Senior Editor and Analyst at the Action Network and a co-host of the Action Network show on Sirius XM Fantasy Radio at 9 a.m. Eastern. And joining us is one of the titans of the industry, Evan Silva, the former football editor of Roto World and now the co-founder of Establish the Run. His matchup column for years has been a must-read weekly item. Evan, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me back. It's been a kind of quiet offseason, I feel like, relatively, but things are about to start getting real, real busy real, real soon. Looking forward to it, man. It's, but things are about to change real, real fast. Man, it is fantastic to have you on the show. Speaking of stuff changing fast, just today, we've released our customizable fantasy football cheat sheet, which is powered by the projections that Sean, Chris, and I create. That was a big task. Uh, shout out to everyone on the development team who worked on that tool. And now we get to relax a little bit, just talk some ball. And Evan, you are definitely a guy who knows his football, so it is good to have you here with us. Last week, we kicked off our position-by-position multi-episode breakdown. We had on Jeff Ratcliffe to help us look at the top 12 fantasy football quarterbacks by 2019 average draft position. Be sure to give that a listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, a rate and review would be appreciated. In this episode, we're going to do two things. One, we're going to discuss with Evan his basic approach to the quarterback position in terms of projections and fantasy strategy. And then we're also going to do a full breakdown of all the late round quarterbacks available in fantasy football drafts. Let's get started. Evan, I want to kick it to you. And I'd like to get a, a kind of big picture sense of the way that you approach the quarterback position for fantasy football. I'm imagining that you are something of a late round quarterback type of drafter, but what is your general approach? Yeah, I think it's real clear that a late round quarterback strategy is the way to go in season long drafts, just standard, regular season long drafts. But the more I've started to really get into daily fantasy and, and best ball leagues, uh, larger field, high stakes drafts, uh, season long where you're trying to win a big tournament, I've really started to emphasize stacking my quarterbacks more with receivers or tight ends that I've drafted. So, you know, if we get into the double digit rounds and I've already drafted Juju Smith-Schuster, you know, I'm more likely to take Ben Roethlisberger over, you know, someone who's in the same tier, you know, right around him or uh, Amari Cooper and Dak Prescott. I love that stack this year, especially early in the season uh, because they have the easiest schedule uh, of opposing pass defenses in weeks one through 11. Uh, A.J. Green and, and uh, Andy Dalton, I think, are a really interesting stack because they're both very, very cheap. And I think that this, this Bengals offense might surprise some people. I know that people are going to be really down on them, especially after they lost Jonah Williams. But I'm not sure it moves the needle all that much. But you know, this way I can maximize the weeks when those tandems have big games together. And I can maximize the upside if those passing games have particularly big years. Hey, Tyler Eifert stays healthy and A.J. Green stays healthy and Tyler Boyd picks up where he left off last year. That Bengals offense, I think, could surprise people this season. 
Yeah, that's an interesting approach to have um, the stacking of the quarterbacks be something that is kind of subservient to or flows from what you've done at some of the other skill positions earlier in the draft. And honestly, I even like the stacking approach in just regular seasonal leagues. Like ever since the days of Tom Brady throwing to Randy Moss and Wes Welker, uh, I've been interested in, in stacking where it makes sense. Uh, so I like that approach. Evan, what are the stats or the uh, the factors that you look at to – predict or, or to just to try to anticipate what type of quarterback performances we might see for the upcoming season? So, I mean, touchdown rate mean regression is one of the biggest ones for me. This year, we're looking at Aaron Rodgers, I think in particular, his touchdown rate last season, you covered this on the last show with Jeff, touchdown rate this past season was 4.2%. And that was Aaron Rodgers' lowest touchdown rate since he replaced Brett Favre. So if Aaron Rodgers just would have thrown touchdown passes at his career average rate, which was um, 6.2%, he would have thrown 12 more touchdowns. And that would have propelled him in terms of passing yards and how few interceptions he threw. Uh, He would have been last year's overall quarterback three in fantasy behind Mahomes and Matt Ryan. Um, And last year's big winner from uh, the touchdown rate mean regression was Matt Ryan. He went from 3.8% in 2017 to 5.8% last year, and he was the overall quarterback, too. And I think that another good stat for performance is uh, just when quarterbacks are kept clean. Eric Eager and uh, George over at Pro Football Focus have shown that a quarterback's performance in a clean pocket is sticky year to year, and that performance under pressure can be more volatile and is less predictive. And I also always like to look at a quarterback's willingness to challenge downfield. That's going to give the quarterback more big play chances and is also an indication of how his coach or his coordinator is running the offense. All right, Evan, you mentioned there uh, Aaron Rodgers as uh, someone who's standing out from a regression perspective. Last episode, we talked about the top 12 quarterbacks by average draft position, and Rodgers was one of the guys we covered. Out of those 12 quarterbacks, Mahomes, Luck, Rodgers, Watson, Mayfield, Matt Ryan, Wilson, Newton, Wentz, Goff, and Murray. Out of those guys, who is your favorite if you had to go with someone in the top 12 at the position? So I'm in on the Deshaun Watson quarterback one overall camp. First of all, he's shown the ability to score just like Patrick Mahomes and really outscore Patrick Mahomes because as a rookie, Deshaun Watson averaged 28 fantasy points per game. Last year, Mahomes was below 27. And then last year, Deshaun Watson, first of all, he's coming off a torn ACL. He suffers a collapsed lung and broken ribs in week five. The Texans dialed back his usage for the next like month and a half. PQQT, Will Fuller, they combined and missed 19 games. They're both coming back healthy. You know, Bill O'Brien, I don't know if he's a great coach, but he definitely likes to play fast. The Texans have finished top 12 in the NFL in offensive plays in all five of his seasons as head coach. The Texans drafted offensive linemen in the first and second rounds. And I thought that these statistics were notable in particular because the, the Texans last year faced the easiest schedule in the league. But this year, based on opponent win totals, they have the toughest schedule in the league. So in his career, when Deshaun Watson has played from behind, and he's probably going to play from behind a little bit more this year than he did last year, he's averaged 8.7 yards per pass attempt, but only 7.4 yards per pass attempt when he's been playing with a lead. And his yards per carry goes from 4.8 to 6.2 when he's playing from behind. And I think that when you watch Deshaun Watson intuitively, those statistics make sense because I think he very often flourishes in urgent situations. He's good at playing with urgency. Um, And I think he's comfortable playing in chaos and he's comfortable playing fast. I think he prefers to play fast. 
Um, and I think he's going to play fast a lot this year. I think they're going to be top five in the NFL in offensive plays. And if this three receiver core can stay healthy, they have an amazing configuration of the next generations, Deshaun Jackson and Will Fuller, DeAndre Hopkins, maybe the best pound for pound receiver in the league. And Kiki QT, who's like, he's got playmaking ability in the slot. Evan, great minds evidently think alike. I am with you there on the uh, Deshaun Watson number one hype train. Unlike, I should say, Sean Corner and Chris Raybon, whoever those guys are. We all miss. <laughs> Evan, I want to get final thoughts here on Kyler Murray before we get to the guys going outside of the top 12. Kyler Murray, I think, is maybe the most intriguing quarterback this year and maybe the most hyped rookie for fantasy purposes that we've seen over the past 20 years. What are your thoughts on him? Yeah, so I have him as my quarterback 10 right now. It's not super aggressive, but it's also not conservative. Uh, but his skill set and, and like the quickness and the way that he plays, it's almost like a perfect fantasy storm when you put him with an offensive coach whose team led college football and plays per game over the past six seasons and ran a system that was great at overcoming bad pass protection uh, due to their, their quick pass mindset. Because that's your one big concern about the Cardinals offense. Will the offensive line torpedo their, their potential at the skill positions because they've got a lot of potential at the skill positions. And people like to compare Cliff Kingsbury to Chip Kelly. And one big edge that Chip Kelly did have entering the league was an elite offensive line. You know, they, that was the year that they drafted Lane Johnson and they maybe had the best offensive line in the league in 2013. But another thing that bothers me, though, is, is the comparison between Chip Kelly, just the total like lack of recognition of what Chip Kelly actually did. And like the comparison from Cliff Kingsbury to Chip Kelly is a negative. We're not talking about team building or like building a, an NFL dynasty. We're talking about fantasy football in 2019. And Chip Kelly in his first year with the Eagles, Nick Foles threw what, 27 touchdowns and two picks. Sean McCoy led the NFL in rushing. They finished number four in the NFL in scoring. And went to the playoffs, they lost by two points to the Saints. If Cliff Kingsbury's first year is anything like Chip Kelly's, it's going to be a smashing success. And then, you know, hopefully Cliff Kingsbury will learn from Chip Kelly's mistakes and not go and trade away the next year. You trade away Murray and David Johnson and Christian Kirk. Because that, that was the demise of the Eagles under Chip Kelly, trading away all the good players. It was not Chip Kelly's offense. That was so awesome. I feel like we could just end the podcast there, but uh, we have a whole outline of podcast material to get to. Evan, let's get into it. At the top of the quarterbacks outside of the top 12, you have this tier of old pocket passers, kind of like the old guard. You have Tom Brady, Philip Rivers, Ben Roethlisberger. You have Brady going late in round nine. Uh, this is going to be his first season in a long time without Rob Gronkowski. Corner and Raybon, both of you guys have him ranked number 21 overall, so well outside of the top 12. Uh, Evan, what are your thoughts on what we might see out of Tom Brady? Round nine, huh? So he's going about nine rounds too early. I have him quarterback 22, so we're right in the exact same range. You know, the thing is that Josh Gordon coming back could really make things interesting in New England. You know, you get a three-receiver set of Josh Gordon – and Julian Edelman and Nikhil Harry, if, if he hits early, we're talking about a, a passing game with some potential. But I think that the Pats are going to be more of a more of a run first team in general. I think that there are definitely going to be weeks where they throw the ball a ton because that's their best option based on opponent because that's what they do. They attack opponent weaknesses. But they're also the best team in the league at knowing their own strengths and weaknesses. And their offensive line is awesome under Dante Zarnecchia. The only starter that they they don't return is uh, Trent Brown up front. Uh, and they have James Devlin, you know, an all-pro fullback and, and four capable backs. 
know, the time is kind of passing, I think, for these pocket passers that you mentioned on good teams that don't have to throw it six, 600 times a year anymore, you know, because their, their pass volume is down and they don't add anything with their legs. Corner, I want to kick it to you. Do you have any thoughts on Brady that differ a little bit from uh, what Evan had to say there? No, Evan hit the nail on the head there. These three old man pocket passer quarterbacks in this tier are getting drafted too early just because they feel safe. You know, you know exactly what you're going to get with them. But, you know, in this part of the draft, your floor is actually the waiver wire, especially this year. Like I mentioned, you know, you're going to have guys like Jimmy G, Matt Stafford, Kirk Cousins possibly available every week. So you want to consider your floor the waiver wire, which means you might as well, you know, take a flyer for a super high upside guy, which, you know, we'll talk about a few later on. But, you know, these Brady Rivers, Big Ben picks, they're, they're just safe and they don't really add too much value for you um, on your fantasy team because of the lack of rushing stats. So while they're safe for, I would say, a two QB league, they're not in my draft plans for a single QB league. Rayvon, out of these three guys, Brady's Rivers and Roethlisberger, is there one that stands out to you as the one you would want the most if you had to take one of them? Oh, yeah. Easily. Easily Big Ben because you have Drew Brees, and I've talked about this a lot, the attempts just aren't there for him. They're running a totally different kind of offense. Uh, every year since 2010 until 2016, Breeze was throwing 600-plus attempts. Then all of a sudden, 2017 comes around, Alvin Kamara enters the offense. He throws a little over 500 times. Last year, he sat out week 16, but still threw under 500 times. Pass attempts are somewhat of a sticky stat when you start getting into the 20, 30 game sample size range. So I don't necessarily expect that to reverse course. And I think it was worrisome uh, how he looked down the stretch, you know, six interceptions over his last eight games, taking a lot more sacks, didn't look quite right in the playoffs either. And then Brady, I mean, 6.9 yards in attempts without Gronkowski since 2010 when Gronkowski was drafted, eight, eight yards in attempt with Gronkowski in the lineup. I think that, yes, Harry gives him some upside. Gordon gives him maybe some hidden upside if he's able to, to get back on the field. But there, this could also be, as, as Evan mentioned, a, a very run-heavy attack because the Patriots tend to be near the top of the league in rushing attempts as is. Now they just added a third-round running back Damian Harris out of Bama. So they have what it takes if they want to go run-heavy and they want to have an extra back active on game days perhaps Rex Burkhead because he can play special teams or something like that. They can have four backs that they can run at you, including James White. And I don't think they necessarily are going to look as good passing the football. But Big Ben, yes, he's without AB, but Freeman, I know you talked about it, inefficient relatively to AB overall. You know, the completion percentage was down to AB, a lot of uncatchable balls. So I think um, Big Ben's still going to throw it around. The attempts were still uh, near the top of the league last year. I think this is the one guy that he's still a threat to have a high volume of pass attempts, whereas Brady and Breeze are not. Evan, do you have any thoughts on what we might see out of Rivers and Roethlisberger? Rivers, obviously, uh, he should be aided by the return of Hunter Henry and presumably the development of Mike Williams. Roethlisberger, no Antonio Brown, but Juju, obviously an incredible player, still very young, could ascend and conceivably be the number one wide receiver in the league this year. Do you have any thoughts on those two guys? Uh, with Philip Rivers, you know, I think that his pass attempt, he's going to be a, a lower volume pass attempt guy. You know, you, you look at first of their coaching staff, Ken Wisenhunt, old school guy. Anthony Lynn, longtime running backs coach, their defense is nasty. I mean, they might have the best defense on paper in the league entering the 2019 season um, with, you know, Joey Bosa back healthy and Casey Hayward, you know, he, he was banged up all last year. 
Desmond King in the slot, Derwin James, you know, Melvin Ingram. I mean, they brought back Denzel Perryman for nothing. Man, I, I love their defense. And they have all these, like, little nickelbackers, too, like uh, Kaiser White, who opened the, the season last year as, as actually a starter, as, like, a fourth-round pick. Like, they're smart. You know, they're smart. They understand the, the, the value of, like, pass coverage, getting after the passer and disrupting the passer. And I think that Gus Bradley is one of the best defensive coordinators in the league. And I think that the Chargers are going to be a really good team. But that doesn't mean that Phillip Rivers is throwing 40 touchdowns. You know, I think that we're going to see him as a lower-volume guy. And obviously, he's never, you know, brought anything to the table with his legs. So, look, he's going to be solid but he's not like an upside play. Like as we continue to get more quarterbacks in the league that can run, their upsides are so much higher than these, these pocket passers that have been really good players for forever. And we expect them to have good seasons. They just don't bring that ceiling to the table. All right, let's get into this tier of young upside players. And these are guys going roughly rounds 10 to rounds 13. There are five of them who are really catching my eye. Jameis Winston, Mitch Trubisky, Dak Prescott, Lamar Jackson, and Josh Allen. Evan, I'd like to get kind of like quick thoughts on maybe the one guy in this tier who stands out to you the most as the one that you would want, or or maybe like the two guys who really stand out to you. So Dak Prescott, I think, is really interesting this year. Um, His splits with Amari Cooper last year were sensational. Average over 70 more passing yards per game after they traded for Amari, how quickly those guys bonded was incredible because a lot of wide receiver and quarterback connections, you know, don't even hit in the first year when, when teams are, when teams are changing, but Amari changed teams and immediately they hit it off. I think I thought that was really impressive. Now they're going to get a full off season together. You know, Amari Cooper, like we've always known about his potential, you know, that's why we've burned bucks on him and, you know, playing daily fantasy. Uh, so I, I think that he does have the ability to elevate a passing offense. He showed that. I'm really interested to see what is Kellen Moore going to bring to the table. You know, Dan Orlovsky has become one of my favorite quarterback analysts over the last couple of years, and he was the teammate of Kellen Moore in Detroit. Dan Orlovsky was talking about how he's always viewed Kellen Moore as a really bright offensive mind and compared him to like some crazy combination of, you know, Sean McVay, Matt Nagy, and Kyle Shanahan, which I'm sure was, you know, very much – exaggeration for his friend um, but you know the, it, it's very possible that these younger guys are more are uh, on the cutting edge of what to do offensively Helen Moore has been on staff for the last several seasons and he has seen you know the mistakes that Scott Linehan made I'm very interested to see what he has to bring to the table it looks like Sean has Dak as the quarterback 14 Chris Raybon quarterback 13 I have him as my quarterback 15 so we're all in the same range my one concern with Dak he's scored six rushing touchdowns in each of his first three seasons. That's a lot, you know? So what if he drops to two? Is he going to be able to compensate with his passing ability? You know, I mean, that's a 24-point loss just right off the bat. That's my main concern, I think, with Dak is just, you know, is he, is he going to continue to be as aggressive as he has been uh, in, in, uh, in scoring position as a runner? Sean, thoughts on Dak Prescott and then any of these other guys in this tier standing out to you? Yeah, so, I mean, Dak Prescott and Jameis Winston are probably the two QBs I'm targeting the most in single QB leagues. Jameis Winston first, I mean, I I have him ranked as my 10th quarterback. You know, the Tampa Bay quarterbacks combined for the QB2 overall last season, so it doesn't take too much of imagination to think that, you know, if Winston is the QB for all 16 games this year, he could be a top five QB. I love the fact that Bruce Arians is there. 
you know, he's mentioned he's going to work on some of Winston's mechanics, hopefully limit the turnovers. But more importantly, I, you know, we're not going to have to worry about Winston getting benched every game this year. You know, that was one of the factors where I had to cut Winston loose last year. I had a ton of Winston last year. And, you know, every week you never knew if Dirk Cutter was going to bench, you know, Winston to put in Fitzpatrick or bench Fitzpatrick to put in Winston. So now that that's over with, um, I'm going to invest heavily again in Winston this year. You know, they still have a ton of weapons there with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. Cam Brait, OJ Howard. So I love the talent surrounding him. So he's going to be one of my highest owned QBs and drafts this year. And then, you know, like what Evan said, Dak Prescott, you know, he has a ton of upside this year. He's finishing the top 12 all three seasons. You know, he seems like a pretty safe play to be getting, you know, as the 18th QB off the board. From week nine last year when Amari Cooper came on board, uh, he was the QB four. I think one of the important things with him is, um, you know, Dak's been sort of a you know, high ceiling, low four QB week to week. But, you know, even that short stretch, he uh, he finished in the top five 33% of the time and only finished outside of the top 20 11% of the time. So I think just having a weapon like Cooper there will help his week to week floor. Um, and that's what I, I do value that in a, a QB in a one one QB league. Um, and that's why I'm, I'm, I like Trubisky's upside, but his week to week consistency, I, I'm passing him up in this this range because I treat season fantasy football as more of a head-to-head cash game like DFS where I'm just trying to maximize my floor and Trubisky's floor is a little too low for me to um, you know invest in him and start him week to week so um, I'm passing on him in this range but I do like his, his upside as well. Raymond, I'm curious on your thoughts about Winston uh, and or Dak. And then uh, specifically, uh, I want to get your thoughts on Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen, because those are two guys who impressed last year, uh, mainly because of their rushing ability, although they got there in different ways. Lamar Jackson produced with a lot of design runs. Josh Allen was fantastic as a guy who could scramble when his first read wasn't there. There were lots of questions about what we're going to see out of them in their second year, how much they're going to regress as runners, how much they will progress as passers. Uh, so what are your thoughts there well I think that I actually I think I'm a little more aggressive in this spot I think you can be when you're taking a late round quarterback in that 10 to 15 range because you've already waited you want to maximize your floor with your picks with higher draft capital premium picks but by waiting till the double digit rounds getting a quarterback taken well after maybe your whole league has a quarterback you can afford to take risks because I think why you want to take a guy like a Jameis a Trubisky a Dak uh, a Josh Allen or a Lamar Jackson any of those five with rushing upside um, and that's assuming Cam Newton doesn't fall which he may in, in some leagues the reason you want to take one of those guys with, with a little bit of kind of either rushing upside or Jameis, I know he doesn't really have much rushing ups, upside, but he has kind of this all-around upside because he throws it long and he's going to have Bruce Arians, is because you're looking for that every week QB1. I think the guys we t- discussed earlier, the Riverses, the Breezes, the Roethlisbergers, and the Bradys, those guys you can target in specific situations that are going to be generally predictable. At home for Breeze and Roethlisberger, and against bad matchups or good matchups, I should say, for Brady and Rivers and then in shootout type situations. So you can still stream those guys effectively. So the real reason you're taking these guys is for that high ceiling every week QB1. I think that all five have it for different reasons. I think I'm not sleeping on Trubisky. I want to talk about him a little bit because we haven't yet. And I think a lot of people are kind of passing him up. No one had more 30-point fantasy games last year than Trubisky other than Patrick Mahomes. Yes, he has a a bit of a floor, but he can move around and he has Matt Nagy who infamously enabled Alex Smith to have the season of his life. So 
I'm not sleeping on Trubisky and that Bears offense. I really like what they did and what they're surrounding them with. They got a bunch of gadget guys that could take them to the house and, and kind of give him some extra yardage that he doesn't even have to throw in the air for. So I like him. But I think Lamar and, and Josh Allen, uh, you worry a little bit about them just throwing the football, obviously. However, I think it's an equalizer, right? Because the worse these guys are as passers, the more they are going to pull the ball down and, and just say the heck with it and run with it. And the more their offenses are going to rely upon them running the football. So if Lamar Jackson improves as a passer, then yeah, maybe Baltimore doesn't run him so much and doesn't run the ball so much, period. But if he doesn't, he'll be running. And then when they have to pass, he'll be dropping back. And he runs, um, you know, from uh, passing, you know, called pass plays. And, and the same is true of Allen. So I think you're, you're not really – you can't really go wrong with any of these guys. It's really just wait. Wait till you get whoever falls. You know, I wouldn't say reach on any of them. Um, no matter how much I like them, I just think you wait till if you're in a 12-team league till 11 quarterbacks are off the board, and then you have your choice of of who's there, and you're going to get a high upside guy no matter what. I'm still tilted from that uh, that Bears Eagles uh, playoff game. <laughs> I, I had the over on his rushing yards. This dude had gaping holes to run through and would just just refuse to run. Uh, I think he actually might have pulled his hamstring like early in the game, and he was kind of hesitant the rest of the yeah. way. But uh, Man, he's an incredible runner. I mean, he like I think he could maybe start at running back, or he could be like a Zach Zenner or something. <laughs> he's like a legit, a legit good runner. Uh, last year, he was 18th among quarterbacks in snaps. So he played the 18th most snaps among all quarterbacks, with the fifth most rushing yards. So he's he's rushing at a very, very, and he was very efficient. He was over six yards per carry. Don't sleep on Trubisky. Could be the Konami code this year. Yeah, he is, as Evan mentioned, highly efficient in his rushing. Evan, Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen last year, they were also both highly efficient. What do you think we're going to see out of them this year? I mean, I think that Lamar Jackson is a potential league winner. Um, I have him quarterback 14, so I'm ahead of uh, Sean and Chris. You know, this dude did not get first-team reps until week 10 of his rookie season. And because so many of his runs were designed and they were not improvised, I don't think we got to see his full capability as like a dynamic runner. I mean, when do the, do the big plays happen? They come off, you know, like the 50-yard runs. They come off improvisation. Think back at, like, you know, about Michael Vick. You know, I mean, Lamar Jackson has legit Michael Vick level rushing ability. And this year, if you were going to pick a team in the NFL to lead the NFL in rushing attempts, who would it be? It would be the Ravens, okay? And this year, per Warren Sharp's metrics, they have the second easiest schedule of opposing run defenses in the league. So count me in on Lamar Jackson – I like his MVP odds if you could get him at 65 or uh, 80 to 1. Way too many people are writing this dude off because he threw some ugly passes last year that completely revamped his receiver core. I love the promotion of Greg Roman and his history with dudes who can, who can spin it and run it. Yeah, I'm, I'm big on Lamar Jackson. Yeah, as you mentioned there, Greg Roman with Colin Kaepernick and then also Tyrod Taylor had uh, some pretty impressive success with guys who at this point people don't really think of as being very productive, but uh, who definitely flashed when given the opportunity. Let's talk about some of these middle-aged pocket passers who are kind of like in this tier unto themselves after these upside players. And in this like rounds 12 to 17, we have Jimmy Garoppolo, Kirk Cousins, Matthew Stafford, Derek Carr, and Nick Foles. I'll just say it. I'm not really interested in any of these guys. Um, they seem kind of like lesser versions of the older guys who are being drafted ahead of them. But uh, Evan, anyone in this tier out of Garoppolo, Cousins, Stafford, Carr, and Foles, any one of these guys really intrigue you? 
Probably Jimmy G. You know, I mean, this was a guy who had a pretty consensus top 10 quarterback ADP last year in his career. So we've got an eight-game sample of what Jimmy Garoppolo has done in San Francisco. Six and two record, 65% completion rate, 8.5 yards per pass attempt, 11 touchdowns, eight picks, but an, an additional rushing score. I think we can all acknowledge that Jimmy Garoppolo is at very least still a really good prospect. I mean, career yards per attempt, 8.2, passer rating, 97.3, and he's never been surrounded by a, a perfect supporting cast. We have George Kittle, top two tight end, and now we have Dante Pettis and Devo Samuel, who are really interesting you know, prospects. So it's, it's still like all about hope in San Francisco entering year three of like the John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan regime. And I think that people are going to start to get like a little tired of this fast. But I think you still got to be patient because George Kill 25, Dante Pettis 23, Debo Samuel 23. Jimmy Garoppolo hasn't even started a full season yet in the NFL, but man, he's shown so much promise. They've got a ton of options in the backfield. All five of their offensive line starters return. You know, they've pumped a lot of resources into their defense. The problem is that they play in this division with the freaking Rams and the Seahawks and the Cardinals are are another come-up team. Uh, They're just – they're a difficult team to predict, but I think that Jimmy Garoppolo is like a virtual lock to beat his ADP this season because it's going to be in this range where Raybon and and Sean have him in that 17 to 22 range, and I think he's easily going to finish top 15 and probably top 12. All right, Sean, I'd like to get your thoughts here on, on Garoppolo since you are the lowest on him at number 22. Uh, what do you see happening this year? Yeah, so he's actually a guy where, you know, if I happen to miss on Winston and Prescott and Lamar Jackson, I wouldn't mind starting my year off with Jimmy G. I, I would probably be in just stream QB mode at that point. And he opens up week one against the Buccaneers. So he has a great week one matchup. But yeah, one of the things with Jimmy G is we haven't been able to see, you know, a big sample size of him yet. But I look at Nick Mullins last year who, you know, he ended up finishing as a QB1 in five of his eight starts last year. So we saw some upside of, you know, this Kyle Shanahan offense. So I think Jimmy G could put up solid numbers this year. It's just without the rushing ability, he's just, you know, a high floor, low ceiling kind of guy. So he's he's not going to be pretty high in my rankings. But, um, you know, if, if you wait long enough and you get him, um, I think he would be a good way to start your uh, streaming QB for the year. And he, he's another reason why, you know, I like him as a quarterback and he's, he's ranked 22nd because QB is so deep this year. You even have guys like Kirk Cousins or even Matt Stafford, who I think is going to bounce back this year, who are all ranked you know, outside of my top 20. But I, I do like them on a week to week basis. All right. So, Sean, you mentioned there are a couple guys, Cousins and Stafford, outside of Garoppolo in this tier. Who is it who really catches your eye that you would maybe be satisfied with getting? So I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it satisfied, but um, if I had to reach for somebody in a one QB league, it would be Sam Darnold. He's just a guy that could make a year or two leap. He gets Jamison Crowder and even Le'Veon Bell, who's a great pass catching back, as we know. Uh, he gets Quincy Anunua is healthy again. So he just has more weapons than just Robbie Anderson. I mean, he did flash some of that rushing ability that he has um, starting in week seven where he started to rush close to 20 yards per game. So I think if he can, you know, keep that going this year, he could be a sneaky guy outside of the top 24. And then in uh, a two QB format, I would target a guy like Andy Dalton super late. Um, Evan mentioned it earlier on, but, you know, if the Zach Taylor experiment works and they can, you know, resemble somewhat of the Rams offense and, you know, John Ross breaks out as, you know, a, a wide receiver three for him and Tyler Eifert stays healthy. Um, he could have a pretty surprising year. So he'd be a guy I would target super late in a 2QB or super flex format. Uh, Rayvon, out of Garoppolo, Cousins, Stafford, Carr, and Foles, who are the guys who catch your eye? <laughs> Is that even a question? 
Like, it's easily Jimmy G. I mean, yeah. I'm not going to rehash seven points, but 8.5 yards an attempt. And he's the best quarterback of those guys. Uh, and he, he has the weapon. So it's not, not even a question, Jimmy G, outside of those guys, to kind of piggyback on Sean. I think Andy Dalton, and I know Evan mentioned earlier as well, but when Andy Dalton has had the weapons around him stay healthy, I think we saw it uh, once or twice with, you know, Sanu and Marvin Jones, uh, A.J. Green, Eifert. Like, when he has four or five guys that he can distribute the football to, he can do that. Uh, he's an average quarterback in this league, maybe even below average, but he has the weapons. He has the upside to kind of, to kind of do that. And now we're just talking about pocket passers. So, um, I mean, I, I would probably still kind of hope that a guy like Marcus Mariota, um, you know, can – can, can give me something on the ground and go that way. But strictly based on pocket passes, I think Jimmy G's the clear guy. And then I would look at um, Dalton. And also, uh, it sounds kind of crazy, but uh, more so than some of the other guys that have been mentioned, I, I think Nick Foles is actually intriguing because uh, he's shown the ability to kind of execute at a high level. And the Jaguars, you know, they don't look like they have much offensively, but they do have like a lot of young receivers that kind of have rough seasons with Blake Bortles, you know, DJ Shark. Keelan Cole like these guys could reemerge. we've heard good things about Chris Conley another guy that was intriguing at one point so I wouldn't be surprised you know under John Filippo, who by the way his last two times really like overseen an offense you know they had over 600 attempts I wouldn't be surprised to see the Jaguars maybe throw a little bit more than we're used to because now they have a quarterback in Nick Foles who doesn't turn the ball over I think one of the reasons they were so run heavy these last couple years wasn't just because of Tom Coughlin and Marone, but it's because they had Blake Bortles and they had no choice but to, to hide him. I think Foles is an intriguing guy because we've seen him do the, the 27 touchdown, two interception thing. We've seen him then do it with a whole different uh, coaching staff uh, en route to a Super Bowl victory a couple years ago in Philadelphia. So we've seen kind of Foles do this in a number of places. And I like Didi Westbrook. I think the, the, the pass catching tight end they drafted, Oliver, may play a, a decent role. But I think, you know, we still have Fournette to, when, when you want to hand the ball off. But I think this team could be a little more pass heavy uh, than we're used to. And, and Foles kind of intrigues me if we're looking like bottom of the barrel QB2s. I, I kind of like the potential of their offensive line, too. You know, you're getting back Cam Robinson. Andrew Norwell was like the best guard on the market last year. Their center, Brandon Linder, is one of the best centers when healthy in the league. A.J. Can, they spent money on to bring him back. And then right tackle, J. Juan Taylor, you know, he would have been like a top 10 pick if he didn't have this little knee issue, you know, and he wound up going like top 40 anyways. Their offensive line, I think, is real, real interesting. They lost four of their offensive line starters from last year, ended up on injured reserve. Four of the five starters. So I actually uh, – he has job security. Like no one's – you think Garden Minshew is going to threaten his starting job in year one? They, they paid, was it $88 million over four years to get Nick Foles? Gardner Minshew is not going to replace him, okay? Evan, one guy in this tier, and I can't believe I'm even going to ask about him, but I would like to get your thoughts on him, Derek Carr. He has new pass catchers basically all around with Antonio Brown, Tyrell Williams, Ryan Grant, J.J. Nelson, and Hunter Renfro. He has a new tight end in Darren Waller. He has a new running back in Josh Jacobs who – I think is a, a pretty talented three-down player. And he actually had career highs last year in yards passing and completion rate in his first season with John Gruden. Do you think there's any potential with him? Yeah, there is. There is. You know, he's, uh, he's not a player that I particularly like. You know, he adds nothing in terms of rushing value. He's never been an aggressive downfield passer. He, he doesn't check my personal boxes. He's actually someone that I like to hear other people talk about rather than myself, you know, because – I don't really like him as a player, honestly. But I'd love to hear what Sean and Chris have to say about him. I mean, I'll just say this. Mention all the good pass catchers. Maybe a guy like, uh, 
I don't know, Mike Glennon, Nathan Peterman, maybe those guys could, could throw to those pass catchers too. So that's, what I, that's how I feel about Derek Carr. Pretty brutal. <laughs> okay, so enough talk about Derek Carr. Man, Evan, uh, this tier of quarterbacks following that tier is a little gnarly. Sean and Chris have already talked about some of them. We have Sam Darnold, Dwayne Haskins, and Case Keenum, Marcus Mariota, Andy Dalton, Joe Flacco, Drew Locke, Eli Manning, Daniel Jones, Ryan Fitzpatrick, and Josh Rosen at the bottom of the barrel. Darnold and Dalton are two guys who have been mentioned. Are those the guys who stand out to you? And if not, uh, who catches your eye in this tier? Yeah, for sure. That, that's who stands out. Sam Darnold showed a lot at the end of the season. You know, he went through some very, very difficult stretches. They had to sit him down for a while. Um, I mean, like every pass catcher on the Jets had a high ankle sprain at some point. And, I mean, I don't know if you guys have ever played in DFS, like a wide receiver who had a high ankle sprain, but you're not getting any points. Like, you, you are, you're getting a zero. Quincy Anunua and Robbie Anderson both had high ankle sprains. Chris Herndon, I think, you know, well, he was one of uh, just uh, eight tight ends over the last decade as a rookie to have over 500 receiving yards. Uh, we had a couple of those last year, actually, Chris Herndon and Mark Andrews. But, you know, I think the arrow is pointing up on him. But he's also – I think he's going to get a, a little suspension. Uh, we'll, we'll see about that. The one thing that, that I don't like about Sam Darnold and which keeps me kind of tepid on him is, is Adam Gase's history with just running the slowest-paced offenses in the league, you know. So and also their offensive line is I, I think it's real real bad. It's bottom five in the league. They did very little to upgrade it. They their big move was acquiring Kalechi Osemele, who you know was over thirty, coming off the worst season of his career. I think it was worth a shot, but they don't even have like a, they like punted center. You know that was a big deal for Adam Gase. He wanted to sign Matt Paradis of of the Broncos, who wound up going to the Panthers for like a really reasonable deal, like three years, twenty seven million. Adam Gase wanted them to, to devote that money that they paid Le'Veon Bell to, to signing on Matt Paradis, which I think would have made a lot more sense from like a win-loss standpoint. But, uh, you know, so those are the things that, that keep me a little bit cautious on Sam Darnold. Yeah, that's actually a great point because the slow pace, but just like if the offensive line is struggling to give him time, he was already one of the least accurate deep passers last year. Robbie Anderson's really his only deep threat. I mean, Anunua struggled when, when playing outside compared to in the slot. Um, then you added Crowder, you added Le'Veon Bell, you added Ty Montgomery. So Darnold could quickly just devolve into like the biggest check down artist in the league. Sean, I'd like your thoughts on Adam Gase and potentially what he means for this offense, because that really, to me, is the the big question mark with the Jets offense. How much of an impact, and I'm assuming it's a negative impact, is Adam Gase going to have on this unit? Yeah, you know, Evan mentioned that the pace is going to be a lot slower. They have, you know, they actually have a lot more weapons than they've used to. So I was kind of worried about how he was handling the Le'Veon Bell situation in the offseason, but I, I think he will make him a workhorse back. But, you know, I'm not really investing too much in the Jets in general because of it. So, you know, when I said Sam Darnold was a good late-round flyer, it's, you know, I'm not taking him. But I think um, if he improves on his rushing upside and, you know, becomes more efficient, he could be a great play. But, yeah, the Gase thing um, is an issue with me. And, you know, pace of play, number of plays per game is part of my model. So, um, you know, Sam Darnold's outside of my top 25 right now because of it. Evan, do you have uh, any thoughts? I mean, this guy's way at the bottom, but – Daniel Jones, I mean, do you have any thoughts on what we might see out of him? Well, he averaged 37 rushing yards per start at Duke. So maybe he adds some value. I mean, he's not going to add value as a passer, right? I mean, first of all, they're not built to be a productive passing offense because they literally don't even have a perimeter threat whatsoever. They were built to appease Eli Manning. And, you know, Eli Manning is a short ball thrower. 
he's afraid in the pocket. Ben McAdoo was right, you know. Ben McAdoo sat him down, um, but then ownership stepped in, and ownership is the problem at this point. I, I don't want to invest at all in virtually any Giants player. I actually moved Saquon Barkley down to uh, my RB3 uh, recently behind McCaffrey and Zeke. Uh, Zeke jumped ahead of him because of the, uh, you know, he, he's not going to get suspended for his, his latest off-field incident. So I felt very comfortable moving him there. Saquon Barkley still is a candidate to lead the NFL in touches, so I can't move him down too much. But, man, I want nothing to do with Sterling Shepard or Golden Tate. You know, I think Evan Ingram is interesting at a certain point, but he usually goes ahead of where I'll take him. Uh, but this is an, an offense to, to fade, I think. I think we're going to see, a hopefully, a full regime change from top down uh, in the Giants, you know, starting with, uh, you know, hopefully a, a sale of the team. I think the offense is intriguing if Jones starts because, remember, you're thinking of Shepard and, and all these guys in the context of washed Eli Manning. If Daniel Jones can run the football, yeah, he's probably not a great passer, neither is Josh Allen, but if he can run the football and move in the pocket, somebody between Tate, Barkley, Shepard, and Ingram is going to be wide open on every play. There's a lot of upside where Jones could just dump it off to these guys. They could do work, and he could create off-script plays. Um, and, and so in that way, and I think they're similar. So I would be a lot more intrigued, actually, um, with this offense. You know, Daniel Jones is you – know, he, he's a little bit more soft. Of course he's soft. <laughs> that, that, be that as it may, but we see this over and over with these, with these quarterbacks, no matter how bad we think they are. If they can do one thing, and that is run, they can be effective uh, fantasy quarterbacks. And you're talking about good players at four of the five spots. We know the Giants wide receiver three spot is where receivers go to die. You have Fowler and all those guys. I mean, Darius Slate and the rookie may be better, but you have four guys that are legitimate ball players, I think. But, but you add that ability to kind of move around and not just kind of have to get it out in two seconds, which really kind of minimizes um, what they're able to do. For fantasy, DFS, cheap quarterback, on it. The, his first start, I will be playing him at the minimum in DFS. Better be the minimum. I want to get Evan's pick on our Daniel Jones prop from our projection podcast a couple weeks ago, <laughs> but how many rushing yards will he get in his first career start over under 25 and a half? Over. I mean, that's going to be his go-to move. I mean, because, you know, he can't throw. No one's going to be open, so he's going to have to run. It's done. Things are going to be open. We're underlooking how bad Eli Manning is. Like, he literally drops back and gets rid of the ball. That's why they need to get rid of him. It's the same thing with the guy like Derek Carr in open, which is why I'm concerned about Tyrell Williams. And I'm just like, these guys can get open. When you have that kind of quarterback, they're scared. I just feel the need to say right now uh, to everyone who is not aware that Chris Raybon is the resident Giants apologist. Come on. Saquon Barkley, you're telling me that all those guys can't get open. Four of their five receivers. This is like, this is like a, a, another Alex Smith situation where he, he was horrible and, you know, it's like the poor man's version of that. You put it in Saquon's hands, you put it in these guys' hands, they'll make plays. That's all I'm saying. Fantasy, it's going to work. At least we can agree that John Mara is the problem. Correct? Oh, absolutely. I'm telling you, man, they're just going to try to sneak Daniel Jones out in that number 10 jersey. That's how I'm going to beat that over on our games played. We have a games played uh, bet, too. What is it, four and a half stars or something like that? I forget what the number was now, but. It was four and a half. It's all about the legs, man, the quads. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Evan, uh, I'd like to get uh, a couple thoughts to close this. You mentioned earlier the desire to stack certain players. I think you mentioned Dak and Amari Cooper and also Andy Dalton and A.J. Green. Are there a couple more uh, quarterback, either wide receiver or quarterback tight end stacks uh, that you are specifically attacking in the leagues in which you're drafting right now? Definitely. Mitchell Trubisky and Allen Robinson. Because Allen Robinson, sometimes you can get him like – you know, heading toward like the seventh round. 
you know, or, or very often the sixth. Um, and I thought that he was a very predictable dud in his debut year with the Bears because, you know, we've seen the history of wide receivers transitioning teams, not great. You know, he hadn't even played football the season before, essentially. I mean, he lasted like, what, seven snaps. He tore his ACL. He was coming off the ACL injury. You know, he dealt with some, some you know, he was banged up at times. And we really got to see the, the vintage Allen Robinson in that playoff game against the Eagles. And now he was going up against a secondary that was just shredded by injuries. It was like the, the second team secondary for the Eagles. But we got to see him make contested catches, make big plays. Over the last five games with the Bears, he averaged nine targets per game. Entering year two under the same, you know, with the same quarterback under the, in the same offense, under the same you know, offensive boss in, in Matt Nagy, we're going to see a leap from Allen Robinson. I think he's going to be healthier. He's still a really young – he's a guy who came out really young out of Penn State. You know, when you can get him in the sixth round, that should make you that much more likely to take Mitch, Mitchell Trubisky in like the 13th or 14th round and just, just stack him up because – like, I think Raybon has really, like, enlightened me and, and a lot of other people, hopefully, to the fact that people are down on Mitchell Trubisky, and I understand it. No quarterback throws into crowds more than Mitchell Trubisky. You know, he's, he's a danger play quarterback, but he's also a guy that is in no danger of losing his starting job. He's in his second year in the offense with a, a lot of talented players around him. They return all five offensive line starters, really good offensive mind. And people are still not taking him seriously. Like he got laughed at uh, about the fact that like sharp betters were betting his MVP odds from 200 to one up into like, you know, 80 or, or, or 50 to one, you know, like take a hint, man. I mean, you know, the arrow is up on this guy. He only started one season in North Carolina, came into the league, had a, a rough rookie year, took a massive leap in his second season. You know, I, I think that, that that stack is pretty interesting, you know, considering how cheap it is, especially. The one real edge I think you have in, in, in fantasy that is harder to come by is projecting big leaps. Because anyone can kind of talk about these rankings and, oh, do you have like Saquon one or two or Zeke, whatever. But there's certain second year leaps that are hard to kind of forecast because there's no precedent. But, you know, Trubisky entering year two with Matt Nagy. Allen Robinson entering year two and at age 26, which is when wide receivers peak, Anthony Miller caught seven touchdowns entering his second year liable to take a step forward. Like you have all of these kind of second year weeps just coming together for Chicago. I wouldn't be surprised if, if Mitch Trubisky was a top five uh, fantasy quarterback this year. Evan, it was fantastic to have you on the show. Uh, everyone, be sure to follow Evan on Twitter at Evan Silva. You can follow Sean, Chris, and me in the Action Network app at the underscore oddsmaker, Chris Raybon, and Matt F. The Oracle. Use the app to get real-time odds and track your bets for free. On our next NFL episode, we will break down the tight end position. Till then, that is going to do it for the Action Network podcast. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. See you again next episode.